He slept in his parents' bedroom until he was 13. He wet the bed until he was 14. He doesn't know how to ride a bike. Apparently, he has friends. Welcome to Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. Wexel. Welcome to Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. I'm Evan Wexel, and this is a podcast where I interview a different Facebook friend every episode. We are at Awkward with Evan on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and for old episodes and to review and share and subscribe, go to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, maybe even Amazon Music. Who knows? Um, I got to bring on another one of my Theta Chi brothers. I'm, I'm building a nice little reservoir of a... Uh, Theta Chi brothers from all over the country that um, we were in the same fraternity. But with this one, with with this Facebook friend, uh, his name is Alex Jimenez. And what he did is when I moved to California, maybe this is like maybe six or seven years ago, he hired me to do a fundraiser at UCLA and they fundraised by getting their hair cut and shaved and horseshoe pattern shaved into their head and mohawks and all that fun stuff. And uh, Alex was nice enough to be like, let's get some entertainment while we're all getting uh, makeovers on our heads. So Alex was nice enough to do that. Um, now he is actually working uh, in the uh, political conservative design space. You'll hear about the prominent place he is working. And also the fa- thing I found most interesting is where he gets his ideas and like the mailing list he belongs to to kind of help him with how to think through something and the idea of what does it take to be a designer, but also a designer who's conservative. And he kind of gets into that. Um, and also, you know, uh, I let my Facebook friends on to, to say whatever. Um, if there's something here you find offensive, uh, I apologize in advance, but you know, I will let my Facebook friends speak freely. Um, that just goes for any Facebook friend I have on, not just if Alex said anything, I think he was, he was fine, but you know, he's challenging. He challenges you because obviously, um, we're living in a time where, you know, censorship is a thing. Um, if you have an alternative viewpoint, it can get shot down, not necessarily because uh, of misinformation, but just because it's an alternative viewpoint. Uh, so that's why we have these outlets like this podcast. So um, Alex is a good dude. He was uh, good enough to make the time for me. Um, just got back from his honeymoon and newly married man and a longtime brother. Uh, let's talk to Alex Jimenez. Did I pronounce your last name Jimenez? Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you of a Latino background? Uh, yeah. My my uh, dad's side is from uh, Spain, and then my mom's side, it, it's like a mix. There's Spanish, Irish. They're like Okies. Nice. So, all over. All right. German. Cool. Well, that will be the start of our interview then. Let's just jump in. All right. It's Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. Um, I am interviewing another one of my uh, Theta Chi brothers from other chapters, um, but there's just so much more we can talk about besides that. Um, it's the season uh, to be election-y. And uh, this is a guy I, I follow on social media, like him when I can, and uh, does not back down. So uh, let's bring on Alex Jimenez. How are you, brother? Good. How are you? Doing good. Um, I don't know. I mean, we'll tell them now. I mean, you work um, at Prager University, and that's a, that's a big deal. Um, obviously, there's a lot of censorship with conservative thought these days. How are you uh, 
what are you coming up against personally? Or like, what do you just think of the whole climate of like just free speech and censorship as someone who is supposed to be promoting their job as much as they can? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I'm the director of design at PragerU, um, which is a uh, pro-American digital media company. And so I guess for any of your um, listeners who don't yeah. know what PragerU is, uh, PragerU is a company that makes uh, five-minute videos as well as a host of other shows like the Candace Owens Show, mm-hmm. uh, Fireside Chat with Dennis Prager, who is a syndicated radio host, and he's right. one of the co-founders of the company. Um, and mostly what I do with the company is I run the design team, which makes all the social media content and then gets really like involved in, in all of these type of controversies like <laughs> free speech. So um, I'll just say we, we run into, you know, you run into all kinds of things um, because on social media right now, I think the whole idea of them was supposed to be these platforms that facilitate people having discussions with each other about yeah. topics that they think are important. And it was meant to be this like open arena where people could disagree with each other, come to, um, you know, various like, okay, we'll agree to disagree or, or go into full on um, fist fights. And uh, by the way, is it, a, is, is cussing okay? Or should if I like, you need, if you need to, you can. Like if I were to say shit show, cause I was yeah, about yeah, to say yeah. that. And I'm like, oh, That's fine. Okay. okay. We're all, we're so, all grown up. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, the original idea was was that it would be this this open arena where people could throw these things around. And now suddenly, um, and this is just my opinion on it, not not really like Prager use position or anything. Right. Um, suddenly, like the Mark Zuckerbergs and um, the the dudes over at Twitter and um, and at uh, Google, they've like suddenly decided that they're supposed to be these these gatekeepers of truth and. <laughs> Then, of course, they've fallen into the stumbling block everyone falls into with that, which is you're like, you're one person, you're a small group of people, and your attempts at being truth keepers has just made you into these dictatorial censorship gurus. And all they know how to do is shut down ideas that they think are controversial or that they don't agree with, and they've, they've really killed their product in that way. For you personally, what's been the craziest thing you've had, like, censored or fact checked that you just either like leaned into it or you just kind of knew it was coming or you're like, well, you censored that? Like, really? Uh, oh, let me think. Um, craziest thing for me personally. Well, well, okay. I'll give you one in a personal thing where I got booted from uh, our fraternity alumni group oh, because the no. guy went on there and he was like, you know, Oh, what's our fraternity ever done to uh, improve like race or fix race problems right. in America? And I was like, I don't know, maybe when like every member fought in the Civil War for the Union, something <laughs> like that. And I, and, I, and I put him on blast publicly and that got me kicked out of the group, which mm. I guess violates one of the, the group standards. But I thought it was really funny. Like you get kicked out of the group for defending the group and the, the, group, the dude yeah. that's on there just spouting nonsense, he sticks around. So Could I guess- we- yeah, our fraternity founded in 1856, so I, I'm assuming that members did fight in the Civil War yep. like a few years later, so that could check out. Um, it's, it's actually on our, our national fraternity. Uh, it's one of the historical facts that they talk about is like two of the times in our, in our fraternity's history where the membership yeah. roster was jeopardized yeah. was uh, Civil War and World War II because oh, we were founded as a military fraternity in Norwich, uh, right. Vermont. So. Right. 
in the Civil War, almost every member, and it might be every member, yeah, went yeah. to fight because they were military cadets. Oh my gosh. So I'll share with you quickly one that I knew was going to get censored, and then I'll then we can talk more about fraternity. Yeah, um, go for it. I just knew there was the photo of like Bill Clinton holding the Bible, and like anyone mm. that posted that photo was going to get fact-checked no matter what. So you got to lean into yeah. that stuff. So I just posted the photo, but I made the caption, this is my dad. So then they could say right away, this is false information. Oh, no, no, no. You remind me. The, the, yeah. the funniest one I saw yeah. was it was a picture of um, Epstein. Yeah. Okay. And all this, it was just a, a photo of him. And it had a caption about it that said, this, this image will get fact-checked. <laughs> and then it got fact-checked as false. That, that went viral. And I was like, are you for... Because, because they use algorithms right. to do all this fact-checking. And so all they do is they feed in co- like keywords or key visual inputs. And then if you run afoul of one of those as a, right. as a regular person, right. you, you get pinged. But then also the um, you know, Facebook and YouTube, they hire groups like the SPLC. And um, they have these third-party fact-checkers. And right, those right. people come in and they monitor they monitor large organizations or personalities that have a big reach. And then they actually have people with eyes on the content and they, Oh my gosh, they try to scrub it or, you know, I want to know how you get a mostly false or like a partly true on a yeah, partially fact false faction. Right? Yeah. Isn't something just true or false? Yeah. Cause I don't know if you follow JP Sears at all. Who's a comedian. I think based I in Texas. Sears, yeah. yeah. He, um, what did he, cause he, he talks in satire. So like if you're getting right. a voice transcription of his stuff, it will be like, oh, this is perfectly in line with the community standards. But then when right. he like drops the phrase like conspiracy theory or something like that, he gets pinged or demonetized for that video. Right. Is, uh, yeah. Because how is this organization like Facebook supposed to um, substitute for like the combined brain power? of all the people on its platform who can make snap decisions about, oh, that's comedy, that's real, this is someone's telling a lie. They've just got some computer trying to sit there and make those judgments. So especially if you're J.P. Sears, he did the whole spoof video about how COVID-19 policies are made. And it's like, are you really trying to tell me that regular people can't figure out that that's a comedy piece going (laughs) on right there? Come on. And that's like the death of comedy in itself, just in the, in the, in the uber postmodern woke era. Um, yes. You just got to, you know, the ability to make that joke. You, you have to retain that um, for the sake of society. Um, so, so let's roll back our origin story. The way we know each other over Facebook yep. is, I think I messaged you maybe like 2013 or 2014, trying to like hit you up for like doing another show at, at the UCLA chapter you were a member mm-hmm. of. And uh, cause I think you were designed the website for, for the chapter. Is that right? Or did you uh, well, know or well, something else? As I recall it, I was um, the, I was doing the philanthropy okay. event for the fraternity. And Oh, you the, did the one where we, the haircuts. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I went to that one and I was just like, just shooting the breeze with people while they were getting exactly, their haircut yeah, cut yeah. for charity. That was, oh, that, was fun. The, that was the first philanthropy event our chapter had done in like five years and you're supposed to host one every year so when I joined I was really big on like let's try to rebuild this chapter and have it do the things that give you a good reputation on campus and that was really the first one we're like we need to get someone to do some like entertainment thing whatever and then 
then your name popped up from one of the alumni and I can't remember who. And, and yeah, I, what I do, my history with beta alpha is I did a, a rush event for them for recruitment back in maybe like Oh six soon after mm-hmm. I moved, I actually got another comedian, Ryan Neemiller, who has since been third place in America's Gone talent. He all opened right. for me at that, that event. It was, it was all right. And I still, I, I went to a recruitment um, seminar at the chapter one time. And then we had that event and uh, yeah, it was fun. It was just like, cause I was just, I pretty much just like did crowd work the entire time. I didn't yep. bring my guitar. I don't think. Um, so then how does, how do you growing up then now you're working, supporting like conservative views. What was it like then? Did, did that stuff come to the surface at UCLA or, mm-hmm. or did it not really apply at that time? Um, I, all my friends have always known that I was a pretty conservative person, yeah. but um, I don't think it was ever an issue at, at the chapter as an undergrad yeah. because honestly, the political atmosphere on college campuses was not the height of what it is today, where right. I think if you came out as a, as a Republican or as any kind of conservative or like a libertarian or anything like that, you yeah. just immediately get thrashed. So <laughs> we had people of various viewpoints at the fraternity. It was no problem. And, um, I think the other element of it is that I've never been a person who's incredibly rabid in right. you know I mean, on social media i'll say my my piece and if i start an argument with someone in yeah. person i'll say my piece but i never joined like college republicans or anything like that right uh, where i was just like constantly involved in it and it wasn't relevant to fraternity life we were interested in um you know doing a, our events recruiting uh mm-hmm. doing brotherhood stuff of course you like chilling with sororities and all sure. that stuff so right. you what you don't want to go to you know like a raid or or a party and then you start talking to some girl and you're like hey let me tell you about um ram paul and ted cruz this, will be, <laughs> this is the mood all right so it wasn't a thing yeah i mean i guess that's all they can really do now on campuses this year i know where i went to school there they have on campus classes and they're all distanced and masked yeah. and uh you know, I mean, no, you have these kids in Northeastern that did not do that. And they're now kicked off of campus. That was like and, uh, 11 of them. Right. And they, yeah. they're uh, suspended or expelled. I think I saw. They just got booted from the program and they're not going to get a refund or. I don't yeah. Know. It's ridiculous. So how, how does that, um, I guess from your viewpoint as a, a conservative designer, does that, mm-hmm. how does that, stand on its own what is that like or how is there a conservative design community like what have oh, you yeah, found okay. as you as you found your way you know you you did design i don't know what you did at, at ucla but then you found your way to this this great you know company that's that's you know proactive and socially conscious conscious right. um yeah how how did you kind of like find your way to to that opportunity and as well as to the greater spectrum of, of conservative design, if, if there is such a genre? Um, yeah. It's a great question because actually when I applied um, to work at PragerU, um, yeah. one of the things that I told my now, you know, my supervisor now, uh, who is a really great guy, is the head of marketing at PragerU. Sure. I, I don't know if you'd want me saying his name, but he's a great, like he's an no, awesome you, guy. You just introduce me one day. That'll be, <laughs> yeah, come we'll to the headquarters. He, uh, I told him like, you know, a lot of designers, probably the overwhelming majority of designers are super far left because right. the design world has gotten really energized since the, um, since like the 1910s 
mm-hmm. most of their energy has come from this far left protest, um, radical revolutionary element. And so when you go to design school, uh, they, they tend to weed out anyone who's not into that type of stuff because yeah. the professors are into it. The projects that you're assigned will be like, go make a protest poster. Tell us about how um, the Russian radical revolutionary art inspires the work of blah, blah, blah. And so you're, you're just shoved into that stuff. Um, and so I told him, I said, I, I really think that there's a lot of good design can do for the conservative movement because so much conservative stuff looks super old and foggy. Right. You know, and so it's like we're sitting around here. Conservatives uh, have like the best ideas. You've got this legacy of philosophical and um, political, religious and economic, just death. You, right. All those things are on board. And then you package it up in this really trash presentation. Yeah. And you go to kids that are, you know, super in tune with what is the most aesthetically pleasing and stylish things. And you're like, hey, man, try this. this <laughs> I know it looks real bad right now, but trust me, you'll fall in love with it. And of course, they don't fall in love with it. Yeah. So that's something we really worked on. Um, as far as getting the job, uh, yeah. I'm really lucky to have met my now wife uh, yeah. actually at design school when we went to take a sample class. Oh, cool. And she is the one who was more a bigger PragerU fan than me. Wow. Um, and she was just following them one day. And she said, oh, yeah, um, Alex, they're, they like have a job opening for a graphic designer. You should try that. And I went and I, I applied for it got it and i was like literally the first on-staff graphic designer they had whoa and um it's just been something like that we've grown from there and we've seen all the the pros and cons of growing a team and now we have uh uh six designers on the staff um so you're kind of bringing that what was it technically like a a far left indoctrination in terms of style but you're adapting it to like when you did back the blue campaign yeah, the back right. the campaign was super interesting. I'm sure I can talk about this because it's uh, there's something about the left in design. It's sort of like a broken clock can still be right. What is it twice? So right, <laughs> they right at least once. Right. Um, which is that at the turn of the century in um, in Germany and Austria, there was this school of design called the Bauhaus, and these guys. I don't know that they were really into socialism. This is back in the day when people hadn't tried socialism out quite as much as they have now in all these different countries and seen how it, it sucks and doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and they really had this idea that if you could improve every aspect of life through the quest for efficiency and yeah. like modularization of the human condition, then you could make societies that are, that are like utopias. And they took that idea and they applied it to visual design. And this is what they came up with called the Bauhaus School. So that is actually one of the only things leftism ever produced that okay. actually is very effective because it's basically like they, they broke down design into these Lego blocks. So you construct um, using line, form, shape, all these things that I think if I sat any random person down and said like, describe us, you know, what's a circle? What's a sphere? What's a line? What's a square? Yeah. They can describe it to you. These yeah. guys actually went and systematized that idea. Yeah. And then they came up with things like color theory. That, that all comes out of the Bauhaus. Um, 
and the left, of course, because they're all they're all on the left. Everything in design is left leaning. Yeah. They have always had access to this wealth of design knowledge, and they've right. just applied it. So I'm trying at PragerU to say yeah. to conservatives, you know, you take this stuff that worked and you apply it. Yeah. Um, and with the back to blue, what we did was uh, I subscribed to. I may be giving the secret away, but I think I want more conservative people to learn this. Right. I subscribe to a bunch of far left email lists. So oh, cool. I follow um, I follow the Democratic Socialists of America, Los Angeles. <laughs> all right. And the crazy thing is that they send out these emails that are chock yeah. full of all the radical stuff they're planning, local events, get togethers, all that. Yeah. But one thing they include is a link called a toolkit. Yeah. And I was like, what's this? social activism toolkit and i click it <laughs> and it opens up a google doc and this oh. google doc is literally their upcoming like social media campaign itinerary you're gonna and and this in particular was about the black Lives matter protests right and the interesting thing was that they were scheduled for the week after george floyd's death whoa and the email went out a week before george floyd's death and it said nothing about george floyd in there but yeah. then the following week after he had been killed, it had all been updated. But wow. in the wake of George Floyd, da, 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 we're doing this protest. We're like, no, you were doing this protest before. This was just a convenient event that happened. You could have picked any event as your, your yeah. pre for it. And so with Back to Blue, I was like, look, look at what they do. They provide all the graphics to the public. They say, hey, look, do you not have time to think up a clever tweet? Here's 10 tweets you could use. All right. <laughs> Here's the days we want you to post this. Mm -hmm. In the case of the Democratic Socialists of America, they were like, <laughs> call this, call the mayor's office. Here's the phone number. Say exactly these words on the telephone line. Here's when they're going to have their Zoom conference open to the public. You need to call in 30 minutes early, flood and fill up the uh, call line so that only left-wing people get in. Say these exact words. And then this is all they do. Yeah. And, it, and it's amazing because they generate grassroots looking campaigns um out of basically no one you know they probably have like 10 people that manage this google spreadsheet and email list and yeah. and they still galvanize people on social media and and to get out and do these things so we just said let's do this for back to blue let's come up with a ton of great yeah. factual graphics provided to the public say you know we'll do a bit of the thinking for you but of course anything you want to add will work and that campaign was like a huge success. So I was really stoked because it was like a successful test with the public. No way. And that's, that's all. So you're doing more social media stuff. Are you doing any like video or audio vid, like um, promotion or like, do you create like those, do you create those five minute videos at all? Or do you just, is that a different department? So the, our, we have a production team that right. does all the uh, video work. Right. My team does all of the, um, we do all of the graphics overlays that go on shows, all mm -hmm. the social media, all the advertising. We do um, a lot of print work uh, mm -hmm. because uh, it's a nonprofit. So you have like yeah. donor relations and, oh, cool. and things like that. So um, for example, like, the can like for like the Candace Owens show, Mm -hmm. All the graphics and the logos and all that came out of our team. And then we have an, a team member that's like assigned and they work on it. Um, and then uh, they'll do like the ads and the promos and all that stuff. But there is a, a production team that does right. all the filming and, and things like that. So essentially, instead of like, you know, with everything being remote learning, like right now, and, you know, you're trying to get the same curriculum, but of course, in, at least in LA, 
teachers don't want to go back to school, even though, you know, health officials said you can go back to school, but no, we're not going to go back to school. Right. Do you, so you could kind of like learn, you could kind of expedite the general educational knowledge one could attain by going through these fi- videos five minutes at a time. Yeah, they're super informative. Um, I, I'm a huge econ buff. Yeah. So when I first found PragerU videos, of course, right. I, I went straight to all the videos on economics. And um, there's, there's a handful that I really, really appreciate. There's one that is about, uh, it's about who should finance growth? Should it be the government or should it be private entrepreneurship? And um, I can't recall who presents it off the top of my head. But, uh, well, actually, I'll think of it in, I'll think of it in a minute because okay. he's the author of a, of a book called FDR Goes to War. Yeah. Um, anyway, the video is really awesome because it's a litany of yeah. times that the government tried to finance something like the Transcontinental Railroad right. or flight, you know, and, dec- and then they declare like, um, you know, flight, they, they put a, the guy who's the head of like the Smithsonian Institute in charge of it at the time. And they said, make us a flying machine. And then he hired the best experts in the world. And he tried two tests. He said, we just got to launch it off this boat. And, it'll, and, and it failed. And mm-hmm. after two tests, he was like, flight is impossible. And a week later, the Wright brothers achieved flight. They're like <laughs> bicycle shop uh, uh, guys from you know, the middle of nowhere. And they're just tinkering around. Yeah. Um, and then it also had the thing on the railroads that when the government was financing the Transcontinental Railroad, they were paid by the miles. So they make this railroad that zigzags all over the place. <laughs> when a private company is put in charge of it, they're like, okay, point A and point B. And unless there's the world's toughest mountain in the way, we're doing a straight line, boys. And then when there is a mountain in the way, we're going to dig a hole through it. Like, yeah. you know, we got to do this quick. And it's, I love those because the economics that they teach you in these videos are, they're, um, they're not dumbed down. They're just, um, distilled mm-hmm. so that a person can learn these lessons about why is one thing more efficient than another? Yeah. Um, or like, why doesn't the minimum wage work? Why are rent controls bad? Things like that. I really, yeah. I've watched them and I was like, okay, this company knows what they're doing. Right. And then I've actually learned a lot from working there because I was not very strong when it came to, um, uh, moral and spiritual or religious, uh, topics. You know, right. I wasn't, I wasn't raised, um, in a very yeah. religious household or anything like that. Right. So a lot of the lessons born out of, uh, the religious side of things that I've learned and I'm not like, you know, a, like a, a diehard church go or anything like that even now, right. but I, I've learned a lot of the merits of those type of things. Right. And I, think, I think, um, in America, so many of those things are not taught anymore. So now if a person decides to say I'm atheist or I'm agnostic or I don't adhere to this or that church, yeah. they actually have a lot less interesting reasons yeah. and for doing so because they don't know what they are rejecting. Right. They just think, well, religion is hokey, therefore I'm not doing it. And it's right. actually very interesting to see um, the number of things that are rooted in, in the, whether it's you know religious like in Judaism or in Christianity yeah. um, that... Uh, that people who are secular, they don't, uh, they don't yeah. realize that they're, they're leaning on those type of teachings when they say something like do unto others as you want done to yourself. It's like, you know, that's from Jesus. I mean, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, we're going to return to Alex in one moment. Just want to give you a quick commercial break for uh, how I keep this podcast going. It is with your donations by going to patreon.com slash funnyevan. This is how creators like me get hooked up by supporters like you. For as little as a dollar a month, you can support the podcast. It has reward tiers. Um, it will, we will take your input on the Patreon page. I will message things just to my patrons. Um, it's really just a matter of expanding. I've interviewed about over 100 Facebook friends, and I have about 4,500 to go. <laughs> and, the, and the group is always evolving. So, you know, you want to definitely get to people uh, before circumstances change or people move on and off social media. So uh, having said that, uh, definitely go to patreon.com slash funnyevan so I can keep on pumping more Facebook friends into this podcast. And let's get back to Alex. Yeah, I just feel like religion itself, I feel, is it's like another perspective. So mm-hmm. if you're kind of like shutting yourself off from any perspective, whatever it is, it's a limitation. Just like I think me, like I, I attended a protest where it was like supposed to be a, a recall the governor protest, but then there was a little bit of BLM at the same time. And we're not even protesting the same thing. We're not even protesting against each other, but right. me trying to like explain the gig economy law, AB5 to someone that's just like Black Lives Matter it, you hit a wall because they don't realize there's like, there's a lack of, there's still more perspective to be gathered than just yes. social justice. There's nothing wrong with protesting for racial justice, but you're shutting off so many different routes to, to knowledge. I feel that, yeah, that's, that seems to be like, or like, you know, you just got married. Maybe that changes your perspective. Like when I had a kid that changed my perspective. So I feel like, we're not really against each other that much. It's just that maybe there's a polarizing leader, but at the same time, the things we're not arguing against one another, unless it's maybe abortion, but that's, we're going to argue about abortion till the end of time. So. um, Yeah. Well, with, with like, you're giving an example of black lives matter. Okay. There's a lot of people in black lives matter who are hyper radical because they've, they've been told that, um, black people in America are disenfranchised. And in a lot of ways, that's true. Mm -hmm. But then they're told that the cause for the disenfranchisement is capitalism, that it's, it's a uh, America's founding as a white racist nation that, uh, you know, we used to have the three fifths clause. um, And therefore, America never saw black people as 100% of a person. They're they're throwing out things like that. And none of those things are what dif- disenfranchised black people in America. Right. The, the real things are, are also available for people to learn about is like the reason that you're disenfranchised is because black Americans were targeted by welfare expansion in the 60s. Right. So I could go to, and, and, you know, and all of the deleterious effects of welfare mm-hmm. are what you, they, they happen to anyone. They happen to white people on welfare in Great Britain. They happen to people on welfare in Germany in the 1920s and 30s. And they happen to white people on welfare in America today in like the Appalachian uh, zone, which is mm-hmm. the, like the poorest area of America. And it's predominantly white. Um, that has been specifically targeted at black America because one party said, well, an easy way to get this entire voting block would be to, to re-enslave them to government benefits through their yeah. vote. Because in the 1960s or pre-1960s, the Democrat Party was basically completely floundering. 
mm-hmm. and they had had a little blip with the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the, the economy recovered post-World War II, which was predominantly because of the war effort and because of the policies of Eisenhower after the war effort, they were like, oh, shoot, we were doing great when the country was poor. And now everyone realizes they don't need government assistance. Well, we better find someone to latch onto. I could go to a Black Lives Matter right. protest right. and probably find a handful of people whose temperament is a little bit more civil, yeah. have that conversation and find a point at which we could agree that the lives of black Americans could be improved in America, but we need to have a serious factual view of what are the things holding black Americans back. Right. It's not capitalism. It's, it's welfare and massive government programs that give them bad schools, trap them in bad schools with the, Mm -hmm. their, through their zip code that prevents them from getting jobs with minimum wages and prevents Mm -hmm. them from being able to purchase nice housing because of rent control laws. Yeah. I've, I've heard that. Yeah, I think Larry Elder said the same stuff too, as I start to hear those kind of voices. And it's strange, like I'm, I'm listening to a lot of more conservative stuff. I'm, I moved here a Democrat, mm-hmm. uh, changed over to Libertarian. Who knows what I'm going to do in two years? But yeah. it's, just, it's just fascinating at the idea of just like censoring that side of it um, to censor yeah. out like if there's another why. From, from one of my religions, I know that for any conflict to be a conflict, you need a third party, whether it's known or unknown. So, you know, when you have those, that kind of radical thought wedging its way, just as the media does, or, you know, mainstream, whatever you want to call it, like, we don't hate each other as much as we hate each other. But for some reason, you know, you just, here, I'll poke you and he did it. No, I'll poke you, he did it. And then, you know, we're just kind of slap facing each other indefinitely. But well, that, that is what you see. I, I like your point. Like you need this third party because you need yeah. to constantly, you need a, a point, like a, an, a point around which to divide people. Right. And I love that you can some, well, I don't love it, but somehow the dialogue that you get from like the really radical side is uh, we can turn people who are all Americans <laughs> against one another by inventing a hypothetical demon evil yeah. thing which generally has been like the free market economy. That's, the, that's yeah. like the evil thing that, that these all come back to. Yeah. Um, and I can give you another example that, because I, I enjoy history and like I said, economics. Sure. There's, um, there's a book called The Red Famine by Ann Applebaum. Mm-hmm. And it's about the, how the Soviet Union created this famine in the Ukraine. And exactly what you just described is what Stalin had to do in the Ukraine in order to take it over is he said, well, like these Ukrainians, man, they're all unified. They have their own national identity. We want to get this place. They (laughs) sent in agitators and they invented a class of people called the Kulaks. Right. And the Kulaks was just anyone who owned land. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter if that was like your cousin, he's a different like group of people than you all of a sudden are. And they managed to get everyone who wasn't a Kulak to turn against everyone who had been designated a Kulak Right. Started this civil strife, pretty much a civil war, split the the country, and then they invaded it. The the Soviets installed all of their own people into the government in the Ukraine and took it over and um, just starved them for grain for six years and or no, three years and killed six million people. What you're describing is exactly what happens every time this stuff gets root. Because I heard that. I forgot. I heard this secondhand where like Marxists would come over here. And they would report back. Yes. But then until like the 60s, they just stayed and stopped reporting back. 
and maybe they started to infiltrate more. I don't know. Like there's, there's a a big um, historical movement that happened during the great depression because um, in the 20, in the, in the thirties, a whole bunch of government agencies were invented. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're, they're literally just called the alphabet agencies. Yeah. So this is where you get like your, um, your office of public works. This is where you get uh, the IRS. Okay. All these things they proliferated so quickly that the federal government needed to just hire willy nilly to staff them. Yeah. Because these were programs made to account for, to basically suck up the people who had lost their jobs due to the financial crash. And what ended up happening, which um, is, is like a heavy criticism of FDR's program at the time and still is, is that they didn't have very strict vetting processes for these government agencies and you had a lot of foreign spies and correspondents infiltrate. And this, the, you can go read publications of the times like, um, uh, like The Nation, which is still a current magazine. Yeah. When they first started, they were a hardcore socialist rag, which they basically still are, but you know, <laughs> they were. Yeah. And they were much more open back then about how it's very important that you know, if you are a socialist who has just recently come to America, infiltrate these organizations right. so that we can take them apart from inside. And um, Saul Alinsky wrote a book in, in the 1971 called Rules yeah. for Radicals. And the yeah. entire point of the book is like, you should join organizations that you want to take down, corrupt them from within, repurpose them for your needs. Uh, this stuff sounds very like conspiratorial, I guess. Yeah. But... I guess if you read history books Mm -hmm. and are interested, you start to sound conspiratorial to people whose only motto is like, I can't breathe. And, um, you know, anything the radical left, like they love to throw things out there. They're just talking, they're catchphrases. They aren't knowledge or wisdom. How do you, when you look at, um, like what we've had to endure in California from a design viewpoint, what have you thought of those uh, public health signs where it's like, you know, wear a mask? Like, do you They're see so that bad. same, same theory or you would, you would have notes you would I would have have, notes for them. I have a lot of notes for them because, <laughs> well, they're stupid on their face. I'll, I'll give you um, two examples. Yeah. I went um, golfing yesterday after work. I like okay. don't golf. I don't want anyone to think that I, that I'm like some posh dude who golfs after work all the time. Yeah. I'm not old enough i'm not rich enough right but but guys from work have been like wanting to go golfing a bit so i was like sure i'll go golfing that sounds kind of fun and at the golf course yeah there was a sign and it had three scenarios and it was like risk of transmission and it had a cartoon of a of like three people on the top three people on the bottom the person on the top uh on the first scenario had like a face mask on yeah and then the guy at the bottom didn't have a face mask on and it said risk of transmission from a to B, 5%. Then the next one, the guy didn't have yeah. a mask on and the other guy had a mask on. It was like risk of transmission, like 35%. And then both with masks <laughs> on and it was like uh, like 0% risk of transmission. And I'm looking at this, I was like, this is nonsense because they're simply not accounting for the fact that when the dude wearing the mask is going to sneeze, he takes his mask off, sneezes, yeah. all right? And then he puts his mask back on. So I was like, this is a dumb poster. And, uh, and I guess if I designed it, I would have said like... Um, you know, assuming no sneezes or something like that, or assuming everyone follows these rules perfectly, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the other one was, um, 
when my wife and I went to uh, take our cats in for like a, a veterinary checkup, the uh, sign on the door had like facts we know about coronavirus. And fact number one was um, coronavirus can be transmitted between two people regardless of race or ethnicity. And this was produced by the California Department of Health. That's very divisive. <laughs> Did you need to say that? Does anyone yeah. think that that's like a relevant factor? Oh, he's black. I'm white. Can't give it to him. Come on. Yeah. Ridiculous. Did you just uh, find out about how the, the Oscars in a few years are going to like, you need to meet certain requirements to be a, a best picture. You have to meet like oh. these inclusionary like like ethnic type of quote yeah, ethnic or you know you could be with disability it's like it's it's enforced though i don't know how that impinges on art i feel like that's another yeah arbitrary system scenario yeah you the the thing with with art it's like in movies um you can tell what because i used to work in uh, movie posters oh cool so i'm sure this is is a fine thing to talk about I was working um, for a company that had a contract with Sony for Smurfs, like the reboot Smurfs movie. And my boss went and he watched the movie. And when I started at this company, I worked there for almost a year. I didn't really like this job. I got out of there quickly. (laughs) Um, They had already been working on this Smurfs movie for like a year and a half. Yeah. And they had had final comps for all the movie posters well before I started there, but the whole time I was working there, they were still getting minor, meticulous little changes here and there because the movie was constantly being reworked by this committee to make sure that it was more inclusive here, more considerate there, more whatever. And my boss went and he saw, he went to a screening of the movie before it was released and he saw it and he came back and I, like the very, the words that came out of his mouth was, Man, they better make a killing the first weekend because nobody's going back to see that a second <laughs> Oh no. And so you can tell the difference between a movie like that that's made by a committee and um, all these people who are worried about everything except will this be a captivating film with an important message or beautiful right. whatever, and a movie like something produced by Spielberg, which you can tear Spielberg movies apart left and right for, oh, yeah. it's got a pothole here. This doesn't make sense. This was just thrown in there. You can't deny that they're works of art and that yeah. you watch them. They Jurassic Park, tons of tons of weird, like kind of plot hole type of things. Yeah. But no one sits down and watches Jurassic Park and is like, well, this movie's trash. Every it's <laughs> iconic. Okay. Yeah. Same with Star Wars, same with uh, with, with George Lucas and all that like those yeah. golden age people in movies were mm-hmm. artists because they each had a vision. They didn't let ancillary people get involved and tell them how their vision had to be adjusted here or there. They just yeah. did it and said, this is what I'm making. Sure hope the public likes it because this is my, you know, this is my artwork. And that type of attitude should be brought back into a lot of industries that are overly concerned with social justice, especially design. I mean, design's not doesn't care about social justice when they're designing for social justice. I don't right. know if that makes sense, but like yeah. a guy who makes a Black Lives Matter poster yeah. um, and puts it out in the world. Uh, or, or like uh, one I saw in, in uh, the Valley the other day, it was this big one. I ripped it off the wall because I was like, this doesn't belong here. Um, some guy had made his own vinyl poster and it was all these pictures of, of racist propaganda from like the late 1800s layered mm-hmm. over with stuff of Donald Trump. And it said, you know, America with three K's in America yeah. rather than a, than a, a C. 
and 400 years of slavery like still continues and um you know that guy wasn't worried about offending people when he made that he had a message yeah and uh you know he was doing vandalism he put it up in front of some store so i (laughs) took it right off i was like nah we don't need that today yeah um but they don't, you know, they're not worried. They don't have a committee of people telling them they need the right ethnic quota in your poster or in your whatever. They just, they make it and then they move on. And that's why you see really dynamic stuff come out of the left. Whereas a lot of times if people are middle ground or conservative, they try to be so sensitive to the yeah. opinions of others that they, they dilute their own message to the point that it's worthless. You shouldn't even waste your time. Yeah, I would love to see like the the, the YouTube uh, like compilation they'll create of, what past best picture films would have looked like if mm. those those things were met like what do you do if it's like a world war ii movie and you just don't yeah. have that there well uh, how do you how do you have saving private ryan with the proportionally representative population of disabled people right as soldiers right i mean it just i don't know i like, there if there's a need for that then you should fund or you should provide grants to those kind of projects it's, um, yeah. But you know, let the uh, the art art is the ultimate freedom, and I think you may, you know that a little as a designer. Um, you know, I have I have songs. I mean, I can't. There's not every song I would love to release that I've written, but they're like the jewel of creating some inappropriate song for me. Uh, you can't beat that. And oh, uh, it happens yeah. all the time for me at work because yeah. you know you if you work at a company, then yeah. my opinions will be much more strident right than my workplace's position and. Um, it might upset me periodically, but there's an element of recognizing that, hey, you're me saying something very radical as just as a private individual right. um, or very or a very aggressive point meant to kind of push another person's buttons. Yeah, that's super low risk. It's only risk to me. Right. Right. But right. then as you work for a, a bigger and bigger organization or something right. that has a more complex audience, you do right. have to in some manners think about, OK. We want to make these points, um, but we have to be more artful. Right. You know, there's the difference between saying we have to modify our beliefs and our arguments in order to be more socially acceptable and more tolerant and saying you must be more artful with the way that you present this because yeah. that's the difference between people. You have people who say, oh, this is my art. And you're like, yeah, it's, it's not so good. Like, work, make it more artful, make it better. And then it, it'll fly. <laughs> it's undermining your, your message yeah. and saying, well, we have something beautiful, but maybe it won't be understood by people. Therefore we, we tone it down. Yeah. I thought, um, you had that example about, uh, well, well the, the takeaway from that is like, sometimes at work, I'll have something really, really aggressive and then I'll have to yeah, or just have yeah. to like say, okay, no, 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 we didn't modify that. And I think it's um, better to have it be that way than the other way. Like you want to definitely have it like over the top and then reel it back yeah. and have to like have a limited concept and try to like, make right. it better, you know. There's discipline to to uh, knowing when to throw your knockout punch. Yeah. And knowing when it's time to just like sit down and bob and weave and like throw a punch here and there and all that yeah. type of stuff. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, this is. Been- I missed. I missed something. I had something I wanted to say in there, and it, it slipped my mind while I was talking because I'm a blabbermouth. You know, you wanna, you wanna, you know, you wanna pick your moment. You yeah. wanna pick your moment when <laughs> yeah, you wanna true. get there. Uh, cool. So this is super interesting. Um, I guess since it's our first conversation since we were uh, cutting each other brothers' hair, um, and yeah. I remember this one kid had like a horseshoe pattern. It was hilarious. I, I have. I got a mohawk. Of, you got a mohawk that day. I remember yeah, that. You got a yeah, mohawk. Yeah. 
Um, do you have any random questions for me as we wind down here? We, we haven't mm-hmm. spoke maybe in like seven years, but. We well, I guess, I mean, you, you must be going through all this stuff uh, on the comedy end with, with, you know, various performances and, um, and then I wonder, have you ever had a moment where you did something like told a joke and it, and it like, and it was, and it was an otherwise acceptable, totally fine joke, but this climate, somebody really like backfired on you and got in your face about it? Um, no, I think stuff I've messed up has been merited, merited if I was like, if I did like a, a date rape joke or something about like mm. using like, I had a song about like quag, pretending I was quagmire and just being over the top and all that. Or sometimes, you know, I just, there's this one show I'd, I'd still want to get back there to North Dakota state. I, I knew there was some kind of profanity clause, but I didn't have the contract they didn't tell me about Ooh. that and I didn't ask about it. So I dropped like an F-bomb and said something, you know, once in a while. And it was enough for them to pull me 20 minutes before the show was over, wow. which is usually the, the best 20 minutes. But my my act is so interactive where I'm, I don't have to go there. Like I, I did four years ago have a song about Trump versus Clinton, mm-hmm. which was fine. It was silly. Um, but I'm not going to be one to, to go on stage for the sake of seeing whose buttons I can push. I'm not totally like that. But right. it's a shame, like, from watching um, Can We Still Take a Joke, the documentary, I think it's on Amazon for free, where you have these student comedians that, that haven't learned it yet. They don't know, they haven't practiced tact. And if you want to go up there and say, like, all women major in something dumb or, you know, all you guys are, are this, like, let them fail with that stereotype and they'll learn. Yeah. But you know, you got to let them fail first. So that's, I, I feel bad more for the younger comedians that you need that formative place where you can go up on stage and just say whatever. My first eight comedy songs I've ever written, all of them I, I couldn't play today. Some of them, I won't even say the name of them because they were inappropriate. But Well, that's, that's the thing. I, I get really worried because um, I think you're going to see that, that, element of try and fail and learn and then adapt and then try and fail again and learn and adapt that polishing that, that yeah. and like sharpening of skills. It's not going, it, it's really bad. It's, it's in everything. Now you can't do that because right. now you live in a world where if you try and fail um, and you, and you do, and you fail in, in like the eyes of certain people who have mm-hmm. really strong prejudices against anything they dislike sure. Um, you know, like that can mean getting assaulted on the street. That can right. mean every, every place you want to go work in your industry completely writes you off. You're blacklisted, right. um, which is probably a racist term now, but, uh, <laughs> the, like you can't try and fail, which means that only the people that are true savants will get an opportunity. Yeah. And that takes us down this road to like, not a, mer- a meritocratic civilization, but mm-hmm. just one of like, people with sheer luck of, of talent win over everything rather than the people that build and hone and practice, which yeah. is super unfortunate because they're usually the ones that come up with the better stuff anyway. Yeah. And it'd be nice to see a little more forgiveness practiced. Mm-hmm. Like even, you know, sure you can be smeared, but I mean, Mel Gibson showed up at the Oscars years later. And I mean, I still feel like, like Roseanne should have, should be given a, allowed to come back if they want to have her back um, there's a hundred that's a hundred percent an issue like the climate we have today yeah apologizing like people yeah. 
if people ever look up the etymology of the word apologize, yeah, the uh, the word apology actually means an explanation. Yes, and we've turned it into a thing. It turned into a thing of like, well, it's an expression of emotional guilt and sympathy to the person you've harmed, and some kind of like request for forgiveness, yeah. and that's that's a good element of it. But now it's shifted all the way to this far end of an apology is just the confession of guilt. Yeah. And it doesn't mitigate the punishment at all. Yeah. And that's why you saw, um, what's her name? Megan Kelly okay. from Fox. She goes to MSNBC, I think it was. Or she went to NBC, I think. NBC maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, whoever it was, she went to like a more left-leaning uh, news organization. Yeah. She like cut her hair short, did, did up her due to be like very like, you know, independent feminist type of woman and right. started towing those lines. And the one time she actually came out of that mold and said something that she probably actually, like she didn't say anything that was actually that radical. She, uh, I think, what did she say? Something like she didn't think it was racist for someone to have a costume on or something like that. Uh, Yeah. And, and she got drugged through the mud and then she made the mistake of apologizing publicly and that didn't save her. It just, it was like, great. I knew she was a witch. Burn her now. Yeah. And that was the end of it for her. Where is she now? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. For your, your point about apologies, well taken. Sure. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. People no. need to learn how to apologize and learn how to respond. Yeah. To and an like apology. just forgive the, you know, give the person opportunity to kind of like make up the damage rather than just like toss mm-hmm. them aside and be like, that's the end of your career. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, you can't have reconciliation. Yeah. You know, which I think people talk about us like, oh, are we going into a civil war with all these things? It's like, well, even if we did go into a civil war, I hope at the least that we could reconcile the way we did after the last civil war, <laughs> right? Because that's one of the unique things about America is we're like one of the only countries ever to survive a civil war yeah. intact as a country. Yeah. Most other, I think almost every country that's ever had a civil war no longer is that country anymore. If you yeah. go look it up, I, don't, I can't think of any examples. So hmm. that would be really sad if that happened to us because that's not the real question. The real question is if we do have a civil war, can yeah. we survive it and, and still be one nation again? Yeah, hope so. Um, cool. If, if people want to check out your stuff, should they just go to Prager or is there other stuff, design stuff you wanted to, to share with my um, modest audience? Or? Sure. I mean, like uh, first, thanks for having me on the show. This is yeah. the first time I've ever really done a podcast. Oh, nice. I, I mean, I mean done another person's podcast. I have like a really, um, I have, I have a podcast that I kind of have worked on for a bit, but really yeah. off and on. Cause geez, you know, these are like way harder to produce than oh, people sure. think. Um, it's called true American and it's on Spotify. And then people could find me on Instagram at, uh, Alex Jimenez design. Yeah. And people could find me, uh, anything you should like, they should follow Frager you, man. Like yeah. <laughs> see all the stuff my team is making and like other people in the company. I, I, you know, I just really want, uh, I want that conservative movement to do well. And, um, and I want people to learn the truth about yeah. America and, and, um, you know, why it's a great place. That's really more, it's bigger than me. So I'll probably, sure. I'll just leave it there. Okay. Let me give them my personal phone number so they can send out like, <laughs> hate, hate messages and stuff. Too. I'll I'll make sure that there's ways. I'll be tagging you on stuff, and they can oh, all. Well, all we'll right. go. We'll go. We'll try to get you back into the Theta Chi alumni group, or I'll just post it in there. Oh like, man, we didn't even talk about that. I know we're, we'll have to do it on another time. But that that really uh, it yeah. 
<sighs> we'll get you back in. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna post it there. I don't care what people say. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, well, at least we, we didn't name name any. No, names. There. everyone there is pleasant. Go. Yeah. I, I support. I support every. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I yeah, I met some of the alumni, and I, I thought overall you guys have great alumni, and San Diego State has good alumni, and uh, it was cool. That's the cool thing about moving out here was seeing all the chapters that were out here. Cause when I went to school at Tufts, it was, you know, we had MIT was, I guess in the area, but we didn't really mm. get, get together with other chapters and stuff. My, that, that was honestly like my favorite thing about being the fraternity was going to the various national events, but, yeah. and meeting the guys from other chapters. I one time had like a guy who was a sophomore asked me how he was like, Oh, you're the vice president at UCLA. How can we make our chapter better? And I was like, aren't you the guy from the chapter that's won like five altar awards in a row? Yeah. I was like, okay, so <laughs> can I ask you some questions instead? Like it was really fun meeting those people. And, um, yeah. I guess my, can I give a lot, if it's going to be on that group, I don't really mind if I ever get put back in the group, oh, but my only note would be like, you know, if people want to say this is a group about posting things related to brotherhood yeah. and it's not for your political opinions, that mindset right now appears only to be applied when a conservative person posts a political <laughs> idea. So either enforce it equally and yeah. tell off people who are pushing Black Lives Matter stuff all the time on the right. group, right. or just let everyone have their back and forth, which is honestly the preferable situation. Um, because I think that would make the brotherhood a lot healthier, especially on that page. Yeah. And uh, that would be my only input cool. there. All right. Well, cool. That's good. Yeah. good. I, I, I'll, I'll be gentle with them. Uh, yes. And like, like they say, love and respect your brothers. Yes, sir. So uh, it's good to uh, good to connect and yeah, we'll, we'll put this out and we'll just, we'll go from there. Let's, that should uh, be very exciting. I'll let you know if I, if I play it for my boss and then he's like, well, you done goof now you, you're fired. <laughs> yeah. If, well, if you need me to take something out, I've taken stuff out for other people before. So no, we, we steered clear of anything that, okay. uh, like I say, my opinions, I'll do the disclosure. My opinions do not represent those of PragerU, Prager University Foundation Incorporated, or any of its, you know, subsidiaries. Yeah, so and yeah. this is all for entertainment purposes only. Yeah, uh, yeah, nothing exactly. here is actually face value. Yeah. And uh, we love people of all races, colors, and creeds. You're darn right. Okay, good. Okay, cool. Hey, thanks for coming on, man. Awesome. Thanks, Evan. Good talking with you. You too. All right, I want to thank Alex Jimenez for coming onto the podcast and letting us know what is going down and what he's doing uh, to make, you know, conservative design a more uh, vibrant place. And uh, very interested in following up uh, with all that uh, PragerU is dealing with uh, in terms of censorship. Uh, you know, not to say I'm. I'm conservative, liberal, whatever. I'm just, you know, I look at it from a, I look at everything from like a humanitarian viewpoint and like, where's the direction of more freedom? Where will most people be helped? But that's for me when I run for office down the road. Um, so you guys can continue to support the podcast, uh, going to awkward with Evan on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, please five star review this thing. And, uh, hopefully you enjoyed it or maybe you didn't and you hate listened, which I also appreciate. So stay awkward. Or I will. Well, I, I will. It goes without saying. Thanks for listening. Go to awkwardwithevan.com to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Now for Evan's mom to pick out his clothes for tomorrow. 
see you next time on Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. 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 Wexel.